Iowa Soybean Association is driven to deliver for Iowa's 40,000 soybean farmers. We're proud to provide objective agronomic research, a helping hand with soil and water stewardship, and timely industry news powered by the Soybean Checkoff. Learn more at IASoybeans.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Yeager. This is the MTOM Show podcast, a production of Iowa PBS and the Market to Market TV show. Today, we are going to talk about transitions from being an owner to an operator to a farmhand. Maybe you're the upcoming farmer looking for an opportunity. Maybe you're that new farmer and you are trying to find someone to help you answer some questions. It's about transitions. Clint Fisher from South Dakota and the CEO of Brain Trust Ag is going to talk about his story and how he formulated this idea. He was in ag retail for a number of times, tried a couple of things that maybe didn't quite work out the way he wanted to. So he went to law school and we're going to talk how Brain Trust was born. One thing that he has found is partnering. And maybe it's that mentor-mentee. Maybe it's a peer group. Remember, a peer group isn't necessarily your neighbor because you don't want to always tell your neighbor that, hey, I'm thinking of buying that 40 and then your neighbor goes in and buys the 40 ahead of you. We'll talk about some of that transition, but also those discussions of someone who might have reached a certain age and it's time to do something next and, and bring in someone with a little different energy and a different scope of things. And how does that look? We'll talk about navigating some of those uh, tough decisions and conversations that need to happen at some point. We all know there's family dynamics involved and sometimes the easiest decision is not always the one that uh, is the one that needs to be made. Sometimes easy is hard and hard is easy. Let's talk to Clint now. If you have any feedback for me, send me an email at paul.yeager at iowapbs.org. I love hearing from you. New episodes come out each and every Tuesday. Now let's get to our discussion. All right, Clint, when you look at the weather map, who has more snow, you or those crazy Iowans? You know, I think uh, for once they do. You know, we uh, we were on the north end of it and uh, we got some cold, but not not near the inches that they got. So you had a harder Christmas, though. We did. We did. Yes, that was uh, in the last couple of years, right around Christmas time, it seems we'll get hit with something and delays everybody's travel and of course, uh, this year, that storm that hit down south was impacting this Brooking, South Dakota area pretty significantly because uh, half the town was down in Frisco, Texas for the national championship game, and, and they weren't able to come back. So it was kind of a ghost town around here for a while. Did you have rooting interest in that game? I'm uh, sorry? Did you have rooting interest? Like, is SDSU your team, or are you so, like, no, yeah. they beat the buys yep. and I'm, so, I'm done? I, I uh, uh, live near Brookings, work here in Brookings, and uh, uh, graduated from SDSU many, many years ago. And so um, uh, quite a significant interest uh, in the team, and it's been, it's been a, a great couple of years. Uh, of course, we have a, an ongoing rivalry with our, our neighbors to the north uh, in North Dakota State, and very, very excited to see uh, – um, FCSU uh, win two back-to-back national championships now. So, kind of sounds the way they were at North Dakota, winning their back-to-back in many years. Yeah, they years, they had you know, uh, just, quite the dynasty going. So we'll yeah. see if we'll see if we can keep it up uh, down here in Brookings. Where did you before you went to SDSU? Where where were you living? 
So I, I grew up uh, here in eastern South Dakota uh, on, a, on a small farm, kind of a glorified hobby farm, really. Dad was a, an egg banker his whole career and uh, ended up going. So out of high school, I went down to University of Sioux Falls, down in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, to play football down there. Decided after three years to get an ag degree. Uh, so I well, transferred up to SDSU for ag business, graduated from there. Um, following that, then I spent 10 years in, in ag retail, uh, managing various feed, fertilizer, seed, chemical locations here around the area. Um, also starting a couple of businesses, uh, some were fairly successful, uh, a handful uh, significantly flopped. Uh, learned a lot more from the flops than from the uh, the successful ones. And then in 2019, uh, decided to go to law school uh, and really work more on the farm succession, transition uh, side of things, estate planning. Uh, so so went to law school in 2019. So I was I was the the old non-traditional student in, in class. Uh, there were a couple of us, but uh, we're the ones that ask too many questions in class and everybody wants us to shut up. So I get it. Been there. Done that. <laughs> All right, Clint, you gave me about four things to follow up on. First, what position in football? So I was tight end and then a little bit of fullback when needed. And then that was at USF? That was at USF, yep. So now was the coach there at the time the guy who's now at Alabama? Yes, sir. So you played yeah. for DeBoer? Yeah, so my freshman year was his first year as head coach. Uh, so he's the one who recruited me, and uh, we went um, – I was with the team in 2006 when we won a national championship. Um, and then I had left before they won again in 2008. And uh, so, so, yeah, I got to play for DeBoer his first first years of coaching and, and watched him move on uh, ultimately to Alabama. So, yeah, it's an incredible story for him. And, of course, you know, he's a, he's a South Dakota born and raised uh, in Millbank, uh, you know, success story. So pretty fun to watch. And his OC, we like to take claim in Iowa, and he was working at a hog farm Yeah. Uh, when he went up to Sioux Falls when DeBoer called. So, yes, we have some interest in there. All right. The flops teach you more about life. So as a salesman, what did you like about doing ag retail? You know, the sales I was okay at. More specifically, I was the business manager side, uh, kind of the behind the scenes. Of course, with, when you're running a one or a two man shop, you wear all the hats. Uh, you know, you learn all the aspects from, uh, you know, sales, procurement, delivery, um, and all the business management side of things too. Um, and, uh, you know, what I, what I enjoyed about that is I, I learned quickly. I enjoy working one-on-one -on -one with, with egg operators, um, you know, various different sizes, Specifically, I, I kind of uh, have leaned towards the the newer beginning, uh, kind of younger uh, in in the egg world. Not necessarily by age, but by experience. Um, and then and then uh, that kind of led me to understanding, um, you know, what are some of the challenges that are outside the agronomy world, outside the the livestock nutrition world, outside the markets, outside the weather. Uh, and a lot of it is is kind of the legal aspects, uh, risk management aspects, and then um, you know just treating these farm operations as a, as a business, uh, you know, versus just a lifestyle. At what point 
did something click there? Uh, because you also just dropped a couple of hints in that answer that sound like what it is you're doing today. At some point, did you have like a book to the side and you're like, uh, you know, I think I eventually could do this. Is, is that accurate? That's fairly accurate. Essentially, I've always been um, keen towards business, enjoying that that aspect of things, the numbers side. Um, and I've always, also just been generally curious. And so I ask a lot of questions, uh, maybe sometimes too many for folks. Uh, but that guy in the law class who's asking too many questions, <laughs> right. yes. Matching right. up, okay. Uh, but, you know, may, trying to understand, um, you know, coming not from a production ag farm, but just from a kind of a small hobby operation, um, trying to understand the ins and outs and the, the dollars and cents of production ag. So so talking with, with farmers, taking it a step further from just, you know, making a sale um, and, and trying to understand, you know, how can I, how can I, how can any young person break into ag if they don't have an operation to take over? You know, and so that, that was kind of what I was trying to get at and understand. And if you ask my wife, she'll say, uh, you know, if, if, if I could, if I could change my, my trajectory, you know, I'd just be a farmer today. Um, and which I could, however, she might not be too keen on, uh, uh, you know, I'm taking on that, that risk at, at this stage of our lives. Um, but so generally understanding what, what are my skills and how can I apply those into ag, which, you know, which has really been my passion, um, led me to working one-on-one -on -one with some folks, you know, prior to law school, just helping them understand some basics of finance some basics of, uh, even on the personal finance side, you know, what is a household budget? Why should that be separate from our you know, our farm operation, how do I treat this thing really as a business? Um, you know, because that's what I was, I was, I was taught and what I was learning through my other experiences. Um, and so just, just kind of advising some, some newer folks in ag, uh, led me to understanding that's, that's generally the direction that I wanted to go career wise. I didn't, you know, the, my last ag retail job was, was managing a small, um, fertilizer plant. And I realized that, I just didn't want to sling fertilizer for the rest of my life and uh, time for a change, which had prompted me to go into law school um, and kind of take that path. The law school aspect, there's many different areas to get into law. Uh, was there a specific one you had in mind? And is that how you graduated with that same entrance and exit? Sure. Yes and no. So generally there there's, there's a couple ways to look at law school. One is litigation, uh, which is what everybody sees on TV, whether it's civil or criminal, uh, when you're in the courtroom. That never really appealed to me. Um, I, uh, I was more focused on the business transactional side of things. And so you're right. There's countless areas of law to go into, and you can specialize in, in many different areas. Um, you know, so for me, I, I preferred the behind-the-scenes the uh the the drafting of contracts the uh, the boring stuff that doesn't make it on tv and movies um but generally pays the bills and uh and so that i kind of narrowed it down to that right off the bat and then i recognized you know i have an interest in real estate i have an interest in farm operations um you know within agricultural law uh there there's a there's a, a path to go towards kind of environmental law 
uh, things of that nature, which didn't necessarily appeal to me. I wanted to stick more on the on the kind of the business, the legacy side of things. Uh, so then that brings us to wills and trusts and estate planning. Um, you know, and so that was a, a good combination of being able to apply farm uh, with kind of the transactional you know side of things. And you know the other kind of direction that that many will go is is really into tax law because we all recognize how important and impactful tax is in agriculture and in, in business in, in general. Um, and frankly, as a, as a as a public accounting minor at, at USF, I realized I didn't want to be a CPA. I didn't want to be a bean counter, uh, you know. And so I so I really focused on on the the estate, um, you know, farm succession path. So. In law school, you know, I went to the University of South Dakota down in Vermilion. And so there's there's a limited number of electives, you know, that you can take. And and of course I got to experience law school during the COVID time where we uh we went remote for the first time ever, which was beneficial to my family, a lot less commute, but uh, you know, it, it limited a little bit of the electives that we can take. So so tried to focus you know significantly on on the uh you know, the transactional, the wills and trusts, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but leaving there with a, a general knowledge of, of, of law, uh, because you need that to pass the bar exam. At, at what point was brain trust born then? That was uh, really, it was while I was studying for the bar exam, I was working one-on-one with some folks, helping put together farm transition plans and also helping on the, the kind of the business management consulting advising side of things. And what ended up happening was I was talking with somebody and they said, hey, there's this big um, kind of egg crowd on Twitter. At the time it was Twitter. And they said, you should you know, post some of your ideas and stuff on there. And I really took a liking to kind of that, that form of, of written content. And so I started posting some ideas on there and, and gained, some, gained some engagement through that, which led to a lot of people asking some frequent questions. And so questions that I want to help, I want to be helpful, I want to answer. However, they don't really rise to the level of let's work one-on-one, you know, let's let's really dive into this project specifically. So ultimately, Brain Trust Egg came about as an idea for um, just, just being able to answer some of those frequently asked questions and point people into a direction um, of here's some resources, here's some things that that I've put together, here's some things that I've found uh, from through other extension services. Um, download these resources, you know, do some do some of your own homework. But here I'm going to compile these things for you, and that's ultimately kind of what I thought it was going to be, which is a, a library of resources and you know maybe some some content. Um, but what I quickly learned a few months into it was that the true value of Brain Trust Egg as I see it now and as it's evolving is really the peer group atmosphere. And, and so what we're trying to accomplish and what, what members are, are, are really uh, quite dedicated to is kind of cutting through the noise that you would see on, in Facebook groups and on Twitter and, and on this, these other really open settings where there's a lot of discussion about the weather, there's a lot of discussion about the markets. And it's, it's diving more into how can I be a business manager for my farm, for my ranch, and how do I transition this thing to either the, you know, uh, the younger generation or to an employee who's coming on, 
Um, you know, what can I set up now that in 10 years I won't look back and regret, uh, you know, not doing anything? Well, I think, Clint, what you're saying there is that farming is a business and you yes. have to know your cost of production. Matt Bennett is uh, our analyst. My very first, and I've told this story on this podcast before. My very first conversation with Matt was he goes, I think what I bring as an analyst or as an advisor is, I ask Clint, what is your cost of production? And if you don't know it, you need to go do your homework and then come back and we'll talk. Yeah. So that's always the first part of a business is understanding what your value is. But Clint, how many farmers, they're not usually the ones on Twitter, but there's plenty of them that are on X that might be good farmers, but they're not very good at business. They're, they're, they're those farmers that exist. So do you target those that, Maybe you're good at business and can get better, or are you trying to find that one who, hey, you need to think about this more of a business and the financial planning that needs to go forward to make your operation for now and for later beneficial to you and your family? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's I think it's a combination of both. And what I found that the people who are willing to learn, who are open minded and and want to to really improve their 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 business uh, management skills are those who are generally a little younger, who are have a little smaller operation. They have to be scrappy, right? There's there's not a lot of cushion for them to uh, you know to make um, uh, you know make some some errors or, or or just just not be really dialed into their numbers. Um, and what, what they're hungry for is seeing other entrepreneurs in other industries having kind of this, th these peer groups where they're, they can commiserate, they can learn from each other, they can, they can bounce ideas back and forth. Uh, you know, one of the, the common things that I discuss is, is this concept of an egg-adjacent side hustle for young people. And basically it's saying, hey, we're going to bring on, uh, you know, we're, we're going to take what is maybe a, a cost center to a lot of operations and let's try to see if we can turn it into a profit center. Um, you know, an example would be say for instance, manure hauling. Okay. So I know I have manure on my, my farm. I, I need it spread. Now, is this something that I can um, buy or rent the equipment for and do it for my own operation and also for other operations? Uh, and now I'm complementing my, my farm, but I'm also bringing in some income. I'm justifying this equipment. You know, and there's 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 many many different examples of that, but but it's it's the kind of thinking that is maybe a little bit not. This is how Grandpa did it. This is how Dad did it, and so this is how I'm going to do it. Um, and so it's those types of people who are I guess kind of willing to look a little bit outside the box. Um, they they know they want to farm, but they know that farming in 2024 is going to look a lot different than it did in 2004 and 1984. Um, you know, and so maybe it's more leased ground, less, less ground ownership. You know, it, it's just the people who are willing. And so, so really it's not age, it's not experience. It's just, it's the open-mindedness and, and the willingness to share their experiences too. That's the other people I'm trying to target because I don't know many of the answers. Uh, and, and so I'm trying to learn as well from other members within the group. And that's why I really think the value is the peer group setting where, you know, every other week we have a, a, a Zoom call. Members can come in and just specific topics, you know, once a month, we'll bring on an expert that they, they can ask their questions to, 
Uh, we, you know, we just uh, just yesterday we had a uh, one on on grain merchandising, and, and and you know, and she's just dynamic and and really was helpful to to understand the basics, the things that I frankly didn't know. You know, a lot of those pieces, and so it's it's more targeted to how are we treating this as a business, and how are we treating this as a business as it compares to other industries too. You know, where are we investing the capital? When we could, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunity cost involved in agriculture. You know, we can invest outside the farm, maybe get a better return, bring it back to the farm. Just looking at those different opportunities from other people who have done it, who might not be your next door neighbor, and that's that's one of the beauties I think of internet online peer group setting is that uh, you know right now there's 30 plus states kind of represented in Bring Trust Ag, and so no longer is it just going to the coffee shop and trying to hold your secrets close because your na- you don't want your neighbor to know what you're doing successfully so that they come in and swoop some land from you. Uh, you know, now it's, you know, this is working in Oklahoma. This is working in Iowa. You know, this is in North Carolina. Can we apply some of those principles here? And we're not worried about that competition factor. Um, well, you know, we, we talk about internally here of, Farmers need to maybe look at that whole, your neighbor isn't necessarily your competition because they are not in the same boat as you because there's a good chance that the guy who owns or the corporation that owns that uh, 120 across the road, they're leveraged pretty high and they need it to pay off this way. Whereas the neighbor over here is maybe in a much more similar conversation and might be the one that steals that land from you. If they swoop into the, the landowner, uh, the surviving landowner and, right. and with the monkey bread first to offer as a peace <laughs> offering. So yes, there's those types of things. Are you finding that peer groups are more forgiving of mistakes? Uh, or, or we feel more open to sharing in a peer group than we would say at a neighborhood meeting in our county or in our city? I, I've seen that, that the willingness to share uh, ha- has really been quite enjoyable to see, uh, frankly, because I, I was a little concerned, uh, you know, with just that that idea that, you know, I don't want to, to, to give away some secret that, I've, that, I, that has worked for me, uh, you know, to, to my quote-unquote competition, like you said. Um, but I have seen that those who are those who are willing to share are also the ones who are willing to make the the connections kind of the mentorship relationship you know and, and what i really like about about brain trust so far you know it's relatively new and i've we've got folks who are uh, a few retired farmers who have been very successful over the years and and we've got some guys who are uh in their uh late teens looking to say hey where are these opportunities at and just to be able to sit back and kind of watch, you know, those who are inquisitive and asking the, the right types of questions to these uh, these guys who have been there, done that, um, you know, it, it, and to see them just be willing and open and free with their information to share kind of with that that next generation or even two generations removed, um, you know, it, 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 it's 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 fun to watch, but it's also you know it gives me a lot of hope for that that next generation because really, you know, my. On a call the other day, somebody said, you know, plant your shtick is really trying to help those younger guys find that opportunity. And through doing that, you're also helping that owner generation to transition 
their 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 farm business, their operation, their you know their assets down, and 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 I and I didn't mind that. You know, I, you can you can pigeonhole me in that world because uh, you know I'm I'm just uh, I'm an advocate of opportunities for the next generation, whether it's whether it's within the family or not, um, to to come in and, and keep these farms as family farms and ranches to keep these operations, um, you know, from, from, from the concept of growth is the only way, either you're growing or you're dying. And, and I disagree with that, you know, just, just that, that general mindset. And, and so I think that there's a lot of young, hungry people, uh, interested in, in, in being able to, to, to farm. And, and what does that look like in 2024? Well, it's going to be different than what grandpa and dad did. Um, uh, we, we just know that. Um, well, uh, farming can be a very lonely, isolated industry if you let it. You are out there on that tractor all day doing something. No one's around. And if you are not on auto steer and not on Twitter or not on a phone call, you really have no one to bounce off and you're experimenting. You do need to have somebody to go talk to. Send them a picture. Send them a video. Send them whatever back and forth. I, th I think that's a valuable service. Uh, and it sounds like you, you agree because that's kind of what... As you said, you've enjoyed your pigeonholing uh, yeah, of being right. able to connect those people. Right. Yeah. And one of the things also that's 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 evolved through this experience is uh, this concept of retiring. Uh, it, some people don't like the word retiring. Call them sunsetting operators, owner operators, uh, who might not have a successor to take over. Now, what I'm finding is there there's a handful of them out there, and I'm hopeful that there's more and more. Uh, you know, as this thing evolves, who say, I could either just sell all my equipment, have a farm sale and rent out my ground and just ride off into the sunset. Um, or I could just sell everything for parts uh, to the highest bidder and, and go, you know, live down south somewhere. Um, but there are a handful who say, hey, I've built this legacy, this, this farming operation, this, 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 this really it, it's more than just a business to me. You know, because I, I've put so much effort and, and time and, and it's maybe passed down from generations. And now here I sit with no no kids to, who, who are interested in taking over. And um, but I want to give some other young person that opportunity. And so I'm actually working with 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 one right now in Oklahoma. And um, I, I posted a couple of things about that. Basically, we're looking for this employee to come in understand the ropes, learn, learn, learn the aspects. And eventually it, it's a, it's a employee to ownership opportunity for this person, for this young person to come in. You know, it takes a special owner generation, owner operator to, to want to mentor, you know, to, to have kind of the patience of the, of the five to seven year transition plan. Um, but it's meaningful to them to keep that legacy going and to give somebody else an opportunity, hmm. a young person coming in. And so, and, and I've had a few other people since then reach out about, you know, inquiring, you know, how, how can we maybe do that, you know, with our operation and that that's hopeful to me, you know, me being fairly passionate about getting that next generation to come in, um, and farm. I think that we're going to see more and more of that. At least I'm hopeful that we see more of that, that aspect. Because frankly, Clint, you've got, let's just say somebody who's got 10,000 acres, 5,000 acres, and they don't want to transition it on a sale. Um, 
they want to they're they're adding to that to make it 20 at the end when they cannot keep farming say they're north of 70 80 and they're the ones who are buying because they're the ones with the capital to to go to the bank to to write the check and, and buy the land is that detrimental when someone's not willing to parse things out and bring in the next generation for agriculture you know, I wouldn't say it's it's necessarily detrimental because I don't I don't want to um, you know place them in, in a negative light. But what I would say is that they are, I guess, furthering kind of the consolidation, you might say, uh, of some of these operations of, of some of the land base because you know one of the things that that uh, um, you know it, it's 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 common knowledge that that uh, you know the, the cost of land is one of the huge barriers to entry for someone coming in. And so when we see, you know, a lot of these REITs, a lot of investment groups, uh, uh, you know, outside, whether it's foreign or, you know, domestic investors who are, uh, you know, picking up some of that land, like what you kind of uh, explained, would, they would be, they would have the resources to come in and tell that 70-year-old gentleman, you know, we'll go ahead and make an offer on this whole parcel, uh, you know, all, all 5,000 acres, uh, because we need it for our, you know, our, our big public REIT that limits opportunities, uh, for the younger person, you know, it, it opens up maybe some rental potential, uh, and, and I'm always try to stress that you can be a farmer by renting ground. You don't have to own ground to be a quote unquote farmer. Um, you know, it, it's in, in, if you're in that boat, this is where kind of my legal background would come into play is we're going to put in a nice lease. We're going to put in some protections in the, in this, you know, in this lease, we might use a right of first refusal or something in this lease or an option to purchase, but let's, let's negotiate, you know, let's look at maybe some, some various uh, flex rents, um, you know, some share crop. We can get creative with these leases. So we don't necessarily have to own the ground in order to farm it. But I would say that, it, it, it's it's limiting in the fact that um, you know that that say that seventy year old example um, you know not necessarily providing what he could be providing three opportunities to three young young families to come in and, and that's not happening and so it would be limiting in in that aspect yeah well, let's go to a little different scenario here then say you have that relative who's seventy five eighty who is not, there is no known successor. No one, I think you mentioned one of those, there's no one interested. How do you, and maybe you're a distant relative, and how do you have that conversation? How do you start that dialogue with someone? Hey, have you thought about what's next? Uh, yeah. Do you have a plan? Because let's face it, there's people who are going to get extremely defensive real quick when you try to start mending, uh, meddling yes. in their business. That is one of the more common questions that I get asked and it's one of the trickier ones to answer because everybody's got the family dynamics and years and years and years of either great relationships or, or sour relationships. And so how do we have that conversation? Generally speaking, I like to have that, that younger generation approach the older generation with this kind of framework in mind. It's saying, I have, especially if they have their own operation and they just don't know what's going to happen with the land base or with the, the equipment, uh, you know, 
the, the older generation had just just doesn't talk about it. Uh, anytime it's brought up, it gets shot down. What? What? Whoa, 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 whoa. You're saying that maybe an old farmer might not talk and talk about something uh, important like that? Is it, That's breaking news, Clint. Let's sound what? the alarm. Sorry. Once, keep going. once or twice, I've seen it happen. <laughs> um, but really, the approach is this. It, it, it's, if I'm in that younger generation's shoes, I'm saying, I'm looking out for my family. I'm looking to, to protect what I've built, uh, whether that's part of the operation or not. And part of that, part of being a good steward of my operation and part of being a good um, you know, business owner for, for my family is understanding and planning the future. And so, um, you know, dad, uncle, whoever it is, I'm looking at planning out, uh, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years for my operation right now. You know, and, and I like to say, you know, say that you talk to me, say that you talk to a third party, right? That just generally neutralizes things. You know, you know, I was talking with a, with a, um, a guy who works with this kind of thing, and, and he really encouraged me to, to see, you know, part of my 5, 10, 20 year plan is I don't know, you know, what, what place I have in your future plans. And so you just kind of bring it up as, hey, I'm looking out for my family. I, I just, I need to plan this to be a good business person. And you, you approach it with humility and humble and, and with the approach that says, I'm not expecting anything. I'm not anticipating to receive anything, but to be, you know, to have a well thought out plan, I just need to know whether there's anything on the table here or not, or how things are going to look. Um, but, but really it's, I think it's key to, to approach it that I'm not entitled to anything here, you know? And I think that, uh, if you have that attitude going into it, understanding that, Hey, I'm looking out for my family here, then generally they're a little bit more willing to open up. No, not all the time. Um, you know, and, and I've heard some people say, you know, my dad said, well, you'll find out when I pass away, you know, and, and. If that's the case, then then so be it. And, and then that's when I tell that that younger generation, okay, then you can assume that you're getting nothing. Which is Work probably on that basis, and then the rest is a windfall. You yeah, know, operate on that basis, and the, and then the rest would be a windfall. And I think there's too many that end up in that. Well, maybe not too many that end up in that expectation. I think if you approach it from I'm not expecting anything. But let's look at the tax ramifications here. You want to go back to money, uncle, grandpa, grandma, whatever. If you we worry about this after you die, that's a heck of a tax burden to us. Not only are you not giving me anything, you're <laughs> you're doing some not nice things to me from the other side there. Um, this can be I mean, there's trust opportunities. There's uh, there are legal options and and things. And we could do a whole contract law episode about trusts and things like that. Clint, I'm sure we really make you put then you'd bill us for that 30 minutes yeah. of time. Yeah, and we'd right. really make it work. So I guess I'll end it. Here, Clint, um, because, yes, anybody can contact you at Braintrust and, and run things, those common questions to you. But generally speaking, what is something families, we just finished the holidays. I always kind of do some of these interviews ahead of the holidays. Here's a conversation you can have at Christmas. Right. Okay, we don't have that burden of, of the holidays. But what's that conversation maybe we should be looking at if we're not directly tied to agriculture or we are? And we need to have this conversation because we need to have it. First and foremost, I would just encourage 
strongly encourage the owner generation to be the ones to initiate it. That conversation goes something like, here's what our plan is, or we don't have a plan and we are working on putting a plan together um, and getting everybody in that, in that room. And it's saying, here's our plan. You may or may not agree with it. You don't have to like it. Um, but ultimately these are our assets that we're going to pass along in this manner. We have some, you know, farm kids, we have some off farm kids. Here's our current plan. This could change depending on, you know, nursing home stays. Uh, if we buy a house in Arizona, you know, things, things could change, but as of right now, here's what our plan is. Any questions? As simple as that. Now that's assuming that there is, you know, some type of a plan in place. If there is no plan in place, that's what I really encourage, uh, you know, reaching out to somebody like myself or, you know, a good trust and estate attorney, uh, even, you know, some CPAs can give you some good, you know, tax guidance and referrals. But whenever I work with, with, with a farm transition, there's, there's a couple of key things that are just right off the bat. The first thing is uh, taking a complete inventory. What do we own and how do we own it? Uh, you know, how are things legally titled? Just because when we dig into that, we find out a lot of a lot of hidden, uh, you know, potential pitfalls uh, that that could happen with just that one exercise. So that's step number one. Step number two is we sit down separately. the The owner generation, we're going to list out what are our goals and objectives, and then the successor generation, what are our goals and objectives? Separate rooms, not together, right? Th these are these are what you see happening in the future. Now you can take these two sheets of goals and objectives, put them together and see what things line up and what things don't line up. And oftentimes there's going to be a few that do line up, but there's a lot that don't. Now those are areas that we need to open up the communication on. And, and then that's when you know, that family meeting needs to happen. And, and then we can collaborate, you know, depending on the relationship dynamics. Um, but, but that's, that's the approach that, it goes into it not saying, hey, I don't have a plan. What do you kids think should happen to this stuff? And then you have, um, you know, uh, husbands and wives and in-laws that they all have opinions. And uh, that's when things can get messy. And then, it, and then it becomes a, I don't want to deal with this. It's uncomfortable. There's conflict surrounding this. I'm going to kick this can down the road until eventually there's no more road to kick the can down. You get to the T intersection yeah, <laughs> and it's a dead end if yeah. you go forward. You're going to have right. to go one way or the other. Clint, there's a whole lot more we could dive into, but uh, this is a great start to have that conversation. I appreciate uh, the time and the insight on what it is that you do. Thank you, Clint. Appreciate you having me. Thank you for watching new episodes each and every Tuesday here on the MTOM Show podcast, a production of Iowa PBS. If you have feedback for the show or me, you can also send an email to market to market at iowapbs.org. Thank you. Bye bye.